0: When was the last time you
1: heard a story? A warm and gooey one, you can't help but smile
0: Sweet and sincere, maybe over a beer or two good stuff Name is Lauren Luco, and I am Josh's friend. <laughs>
1: yeah. Is 100% happy. Lauren is laughing because that's what she does, unafraid to laugh at even the most sordid of jokes. Smiles play across her face with the ease of running downhill. Everyone should get a friend like Lauren.
0: I currently live in LA. Uh, it's actually where I'm from, and right now I work at the Sundance Institute in the feature film program.
1: I put Lauren on the spot and asked her what the best part of her week was, a question I force myself to answer every day. Because there's always something, even on the worst days.
0: I, wow, thinking back on your week, it feels like light years ago. I would say I got to see the movie on the basis of sex, which is part of the AFI Fest. Um, and it's about RBG and it's so inspiring and just like a really feel good movie that I think could have an impact on young women everywhere. And so I would highly recommend it. And I just came out of that theater feeling so uplifted, like I can take on the world. And it was great.
1: I asked Lauren if she found an article of positive news that she'd like to discuss. Immediately perking up, she scans the notebook in her lap and consults her copious notes. Lauren's a planner, and she's planned her positivity.
0: I did choose a news article. And actually, you know, it's so funny. Even before you had asked me to do this, I remember coming across this news article and just taking a moment and being like, this is such a great story. I mean, it, it's a simple story, but it's it just like, I feel like, It speaks to the power and good that a community can do. So this story, it's gone viral now. It's like you can find it on Huffington Post, CBS News, Washington Post, Independent, all that stuff. Basically, in Seal Beach, California, which is right between Long Beach and Huntington Beach, south of us, there is a donut shop that's run by a couple named John and Stella Chan. I think they're both about 62 or 63. And they've been running this donut shop for the last like three decades. It's like a staple in Seal Beach, California. And recently, Stella, unfortunately, I think back in September, experienced an aneurysm that uh, i know I, I promise the story will get good i know that's like i know that's like off to like sort of a low start but i promise there there is good that comes from this uh but she had an aneurysm and she so she's had to go into a nursing home in, since then and as a result John, her husband, still continues to run the shop to make ends meet, but he will leave the shop as soon as he closes, like around four o'clock in the afternoon, and will rush over to the nursing home to be with his wife and to take care of her. And a number of the customers in the community started to notice that he was rushing so quickly to get out the door, and they started inquiring like what was going on, and they also noticed that his wife was not around in the shop as much,
1: But it lacks in fame, Seal Beach more than makes up for in the character of its streets and inhabitants. I've been four or five times, and it's easily my favorite place in California. In one visit there, you might meet the kindly banjo player on the dock, playing just for you, or the rosy cheeked baker waving you in through the window, or, if you're extra lucky, the sprightly dog walker stopping so you can say hi to the pack. So it makes sense that when one of these characters goes missing, This is a community that notices.
0: And so he told them what had happened, and the community was so, so taken aback by this news that they actually, like, started to work together to arrive at the shop really early in the morning, like four, five, six in the morning, and encourage each other to literally buy a dozen or so donuts every day so that they could sell out the shop and John, the husband, could get to the nursing home sooner in the day, like by noon or 1 p.m. And they they have been doing this like nonstop every day for the past month or so. To me, I don't know. I just thought that was so sweet to think about. You know, we live in Los Angeles, which is such a like a chaotic, busy hub of people rushing to and from place every day. And for a community of people to spread the word unifying a way where they can actually carve time out of their day to to sell out this shop for this couple that has been around for like three decades that to me is just so beautiful and so like just speaks to the good that people can do i I remember reading the customers even offered to uh create like a gofundme page for stella and john and John actually declined it because he said he doesn't need the money. All he wants is the time with his wife. The article that I read was saying it's it's so cool that it's not just helpful to John and Stella as a couple and their well-being, but it really has actually brought the community together in, like, a way that they didn't anticipate. And that is really, I think, special, too. Also, the fact that it's donuts. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like... <laughs> I just like that they're donuts. Like, people are going to the shop every morning and buying themselves, like, a dozen donuts, and they know that that is what it will take to allow John to be at the nursing home with, with Stella.
1: So if you're ever in Seal Beach, make sure you stop by Donut City. Buy a dozen donuts or so from the gentleman alone behind the counter, and be sure to share them with the banjo player on the dock and the rosy cheeked baker, and of course the sprightly dog walker.
0: In three hearts beat, red against a black back I touch them even as my skin still dry. So, I'm not gonna lie when you asked me to think of a moment in my life that I wanted to like speak about it was it was a really good reflective opportunity but also a challenge in that way I don't know because I was trying to think of something sort of just like big and miraculous and just like so awe inspiring anybody would sort of just you know be overwhelmed when they heard it. And my moment is not like that. It's actually very sort of everyday and the beauty is in the simplicity of it. So I just wanna preface by saying that, but it's one of those moments in my life that actually sort of like revived my faith in humanity and just whether I wanted it to or not, it was a memory that sort of imprinted itself on my brain. And like sometimes when I'm feeling down and not even like not even consciously feeling down, but just Sometimes I I will come back to this memory like an old scrapbook or like looking through like an old photo album. It just kind of reminds me of just the goodness that people are capable of. And so this happened a few years ago. I had just moved to San Francisco. It was really exciting because um, it was sort of what I called my first big girl job that <laughs> I was just about to begin. I was starting as an intern at Pixar Animation Studios. I had never been to San Francisco before. I hardly knew a single soul there. It was mostly just a couple friends of friends of friends. And so it was exciting, but also, to be honest, an overwhelming and kind of nerve wracking Sort of phase in my life, at least the beginning part of it, and I remember feeling just for a while constantly overwhelmed and anxious. And um, on one particular day, I was driving home from from work for my new job. Um, it was a, it was a good day, but again, I just I, I think I was putting so much pressure on myself. Uh, and I remember, you know, anxiety is something that runs in my family. It's something that I've I've dealt with. You know frequently and at this point it's something i'm familiar with but i I remember in this particular instance i was driving home from work and i was so anxious that i don't know i sometimes get so in my head that i can almost like physically feel myself like out of my body if that makes sense which is really dangerous while driving i should say (laughs) just just a heads up fun fact um when that happens this is a really good trick I didn't know at the time <laughs> um they say when you're feeling anxious feel your feet on the floor and that's because um it's literally a way to ground you physically and to make you feel more present and like physically on the earth versus you know up sort of above your head and like swirling or all you're sort of like crazy um, wandering thoughts are. It's just a way to sort of bring you back down to earth. And so that's a really, really kind of helpful trick to keep in mind. I actually was telling my friend the other day who was feeling really nervous about something and I was like, feel your feet. Feel your feet. And she was like, hey, it worked. (laughs) And I was like, yeah! (laughs) So I, you know, you can probably picture where the story is going, but I'm driving in a residential neighborhood and I'm behind this Large, white pickup truck. It came to a stop at a stop sign, and I was not paying attention, and so I hit it from behind. It wasn't anything serious in terms of, like, vehicle damage and, you know, it, but for all intents and purposes, it, it was a small collision, and it was 100% my fault.
1: Getting into an accident, even a small one, is awful in its own right. Humans did not evolve to operate machines that could travel at 60 miles an hour, so when we operate one wrong, we don't know how to cope. And if it's your fault, you're left blaming yourself, confused and resentful. I've also been in an accident, a fender bender. I hit a large metal chest hitched to the back of an SUV. In the metal chest was a hot dog stand that belonged to the driver. It was his livelihood. It was my fault. And I thought exactly what Lauren thought
0: the first two words that came to my mind were fuck me <laughs> and you know it's like when it rains it pours kind of thing and um I should also also mention that I'm a very petite young looking five foot four female and that I hate to say it but like the first thing I thought when I when I, when that happened was who is it that was in the driver's seat And of course, the door opens, and it's this giant, burly, gruff dude, like, probably like six foot five and like 300 pounds, like twice my size. And I see him coming, and I'm not ready (laughs) at all. (laughs) And I'm trying to compose myself, and I can just feel myself on, like, the verge of tears. And I know how that sounds, just saying it. I, like, I feel like I'm falling into a cliche, but I can't help that's how I was feeling in that moment. And so I get out of the car and I walk up to him. And he's actually, he's very friendly. We, and we exchange, you know, information and we assess the damage. And then I can't explain it. <laughs> Again, all of a sudden, I just start crying in front of him. And I'm like, I know what this looks like. I look like another young white girl trying to like get out of a situation that's my fault which was not not my intent at all and rather than like brushing me off or making fun of me or or getting defensive of the situation this guy he like extends out his hand and without saying a word he it was like as if he offered so compassionately a hug if i wanted it and i wanted that hug more than anything in the world in that very moment. And I remember just like melting into his arms and he was just like saying to me, he was like, it's okay, like, we'll figure it out. Like, don't worry about it. Like really, like it's gonna be okay. And it was just like one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me by a complete stranger. But in that moment, like he got it. Like he knew exactly what I was going through and I am so grateful for that whether or not he remembers or like you know takes that experience with him like that's fine but that's a moment that i take with me and i don't even know his name but he has had such like an impactful significant i don't know he's just had such an impact on my life going forward you know i've even been in another accident after that that wasn't my fault and that was the first thing That i thought of when when i got out of the car to talk to the person who had hit me and also felt really horribly like that was something i took with me and it's honestly how i approach strangers on the street every day even when i don't talk to them um i don't know there's just like there's such like to me like a fleeting sort of beauty when it comes to like stranger to stranger interactions and that to me is just really special and something I think about or try to think about, like, on a day-to-day basis, wh- whether I'm helping loved ones or helping a complete stranger up on the street. So I always think about that rather than <laughs> owing Geico more money. <laughs> <laughs>
1: After I hit the man's hot dog stand, we exchanged information. I waited and waited to hear from him, dreading the worst, until finally a text came from him. He explained that he's been in my shoes before, and was appreciative of those who kept things in perspective. He told me, don't worry about it, to just buy a hot dog from him if I ever came across his stand. It's called Dick's Dogs, by the way. The last thing he said to me was that success comes from the good things you do, not the ones you accumulate. Lauren got a hug, I got empathy, and if success is measured by the good things you do, then we both met two very accomplished people indeed. And that's a good thing. To end our program is Lauren reading a short story from BJ Novak's book, One More Thing, Stories and Other Stories. This story is called The Rematch.
0: In the aftermath of an athletic humiliation on an unprecedented scale, A loss to a tortoise in a foot race so staggering that his tormentors teased, it would not only live on in the record books, but would transcend sport itself and be taught to children around the world in textbooks and bedtime stories for centuries, that hundreds of years from now, children who had never heard of a tortoise would learn that it was basically a fancy type of turtle from hearing about this very race. The hare retreated, understandably, into a substantial period of depression and self-doubt. The hare gained weight, then lost weight, turned to religion, then another less specific religion. The hare got into yoga, shut himself indoors on a self-imposed program to read all of the world's great novels. Then he traveled the world, did some volunteer work. Uh, Everything helped a little bit at first, but nothing really helped. After a while, the hare realized what was the simplest part of him had known from the beginning. He was going to have to rematch the tortoise. No, came the word from the tortoise's spokesperson. The tortoise prefers to focus on the future, not relive the past. The tortoise has focused full-time on inspiring a new generation with the lessons of dedication and persistence through his popular speaking tours and his charitable work with the Slow and Steady Foundation. The smugness and sanctimony of the tortoise's response infuriated the hare. The lessons of dedication and persistence? Had everyone forgotten that the hare had taken six naps throughout the race, unequivocally guaranteeing victory to anyone? A horse, a dog, a worm, a leaf, depending on the wind? Anyone less enough to be matched against the hare at this reckless perspectivelessness and now, forever lost, peak phase of his career, an offensive period of his own life that he had obsessed about and tried in vain to forgive himself for ever since? How could anyone think the tortoise was relevant to any of this? A minor detail of the race, known to few but obsessives, of which there were still plenty, was that there had been a giant gnat clinging to the leg of the tortoise throughout the entire contest. Was the gnat, too, worthy of being celebrated as a hero, full of counter-logical lessons and nonsensical insight like right place right time takes down talent in its prime or hang on to a tortoise's leg who knows where it will lead no the lesson of this story has nothing to do with the tortoise thought the hare and everything to do with the hare how had he let himself become so intoxicated with the aspects of his talent that were rare that he had neglected the much more common aspects of his character that also it so happened were more important things things like doing your best and never taking success for granted, and keeping enough pride burning inside to fuel your success, but not so much to burn it down. Now the hare knew these things. Now. Now that it was too late. Or was it? What was that lesson again, slow and steady? The hare started running again every day, even though there was no race planned. He ran a mile every morning, then two, then 10. Before long, he added an afternoon run to his training routine, a slower one, but with a different goal in mind. On this run, he made a point to start a conversation with everyone he came across. Boy, I sure would love to race that tortoise again someday. You think anyone would wanna watch it though? Then he would shrug it off and jog along to the next stranger. Hey, what do you think would happen if I raced that tortoise again? You think I'd win this time? Or do you think pride would get better of me all over again? Then he'd shrug off and run off again at a provocatively medium pace. <laughs> Slowly, steadily, anticipation anticipation built for a tortoise-hair rematch. After a while, it became all that anyone could talk about. And eventually, the questions made their way to the tortoise. No, said the tortoise, but this time his no just led to more questions. No, now? Or no, ever? Would he ever rematch the hare? If so, when and under what conditions? If not, why? Could he at least say, maybe? No, said the tortoise, again, never. They kept asking and he kept saying no until eventually everyone gave up and stopped asking. And that's when the tortoise, sad and dizzy at having all this attention given to him and then taken away, impulsively said, yes, okay, I bet I can beat this hare again. Yes. I'm undefeated against the hare, thought the tortoise. Actually, I'm 1-0. I'm undefeated in my entire racing career. How do you win a race? Slow and steady, that's what they say, right? Well, I invented slow and steady. This is good. This will be good. One time could have been a fluke. Twice, there'll be no question. The race was set in 10 days time. The tortoise set out to replicate what seemed to have worked the first time, which was nothing in particular. Simple diet, some walking around, a little of this, a little of that, He didn't want to overthink it. He was going to mainly just focus on being slow and steady. The hare trained like no one had ever trained for anything. He ran 15 miles every morning and 15 every afternoon. He watched tapes of his old races. He slept eight hours every night, which is practically unheard of for a hare. And he did it all under a wall taped full of mean, vicious things everyone had ever said about him in all the years since the legendary race that ruined his life. On the day of the race, the tortoise and Hare met at the starting line and shared a brief private conversation as their whole world watched. Good luck, Hare, said the tortoise, as casual as ever. Whoa, you know what's funny? Do that again. Huh, from this angle, you look like a duck. Now you look like a hare again. Funny. Anyway, good luck, Hare. And good luck to you too, tortoise, whispered the hare, leaning in close. And just so you know, nobody knows this. And if you tell anyone about it, I'll say I denied it, but I'm not really a hare. I'm a rabbit. (laughs) This wasn't true. The hare just said it to fuck with him. (laughs) On your mark, get set, go. There was a loud bang and the tortoise and hare both took off from the starting line. Never in the history of competition, athletic or otherwise, human or otherwise, mythical or otherwise, has anyone ever kicked anyone's ass by the order of magnitude that that hare kicked the ass of that goddamn fucking tortoise that afternoon. Within seconds, the hare was in the lead by hundreds of yards. Within minutes, the hare had taken the lead by more than a mile. The tortoise crawled on slow and steady, but as he became anxious at having lost sight of his competitor and panicked over what he seemed to have done to his legacy, he started speeding up, less slow, less steady, but it hardly mattered. Before long, less than 20 minutes after the seven mile race had begun, word worked its way back to the beginning of the race that the hare had not only won the contest, had not only recorded a time that was a personal best, but had also set world records, not only for all the hares, but also for all the leopards and indeed for all the mammals under 20 pounds. When news reached the tortoise, still essentially under the banner of the starting line, he fainted. Oh, now he's napping? Isn't that rich, heckled a nearby goat drunk on radish wine. Those who didn't know the context, who hadn't heard about the first race, never realized what was so important about this one. A tortoise raced a hare, and the hare won Okay, They didn't understand the story, so they didn't repeat it, and it never became known. But those who were there for both contests knew what was so special about what they had witnessed. Slow and steady wins the race till truth and talent claim their place
1: you've been listening to good stuff happens i'm josh fessler a big thank you to lauren luco for her thoughts and stories our theme song and outro was composed by Connor garrison other music composed by the incredible josh freeman with additional score from blue dot sessions thanks for listening and remember that we live in a world where you can make a big pile of leaves and jump in them and that's amazing